You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 51, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL, that's K-I-S-T, as always. Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day, he is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Man, Mike, every day is a good day to be alive. It's a great day to be alive for... Uh, the Dallas Cowboys offense, which is better than it was, which is interesting because the defense is what's getting all the run. Yeah, this was the part of the film review where I was like, "Oh, so this is this is not this is improved." Okay, but we'll get to that. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and I'm just uh, we have to do some house cleaning, of course, before we get into this main topic here, which is mm-hmm. going to be the Dallas Cowboys offense, as Ben alluded to, and the Eagles defense. So first, we did we flipped it for the previous show. It was the Cowboys defense against the Eagles offense. So go back and listen to that if you have not heard it yet. What we have on the injury report, we're recording this early on Friday. So we're working off the Thursday report. So let's just get right into that before we get to the main topic of the meat and potatoes. For the Eagles injury report on Thursday, did not participate. Michael Bennett dealing with a foot. I would fully anticipate him to play. I think that's the mood in the building right now. Jordan Hicks with a calf did not participate for the second day in a row. Doug was non-committal with his status earlier in the week, calling more like day-to-day, which Doug speak probably means that he's not going to be ready to go considering that he has not practiced for two days. So looks like another week with Bradham, Camus, and Nate Gary. So defensive tackle, Timmy Jernigan still dealing with back spasms. Doug was confident that he would play. Avante Maddox is also day-to-day. Did not participate, though, with his uh, knee and also an ankle. Jalen Mills probably not going to play. He was dealing with a foot. Jason Peters with an ankle did not participate, but that's just kind of like a veteran rest thing. He's going to be dealing with injuries all season and has been on pretty much every injury report so far. Josh Adams did return to full participation. He was dealing with a shoulder injury. Ben, anything stand out for these Eagles on the injury report for you before we move on to the Cowboys injury report? Man, it'd really be nice to have as many corners as possible. It'd just be, yeah. oh man, it'd just be nice for there to be a game in the season. Like, I, I remember I was watching the, the uh, Eagles defense against the Cowboys offense, 
and Ronald Darby was playing. And I was like, whoa, this game yeah. feels so recent, but it feels like Darby's been out forever. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, I, and I'm pretty sure that was the, the, the game in which he got injured and in which he tore his ACL. I may be wrong on that one. But just generally speaking, I was like, this is ridiculous how there have been so many injuries and so much confusion at this position that I can't remember when our CB1 got injured. Because there's just, been, there's just been so much chaos around him. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it would be so nice if you're able to have healthy corners for this game. But, uh, obviously, we're going to have to make do with what we got. What do you think the lineup would be? If, yeah, I think if Maddox comes back, then you're still looking at a similar lineup that we had last week, which would be Sidney uh-huh. Jones on the outside, Rasul Douglas on the outside, Craven LeBlanc in the nickel. I think Maddox more impacts the nickel reps and also Corey Graham's reps, uh, where you might see... Yes maybe more Maddox than Graham on base and dime sets, but you may see more Graham and Maddox on big nickel in certain situations that would take away from LeBlanc snaps. No, absolutely. I think that, yeah, the main person who will lose snaps will be LeBlanc, who some have been like, oh, like LeBlanc's playing pretty well, which like, meh, uh, he's he's not Chan and Sullivan. Like, that's his biggest, you know, boon right now. Right. I would absolutely anticipate that in 11 personnel, you have Maddox down at the line playing nickel corner. You have Corey Graham playing back as a safety. I would be most interested, as you alluded to, what would happen in base. Uh, and I would not be surprised if base was indeed Avante Maddox starting a deep safety over Corey Graham. Right. Because he has played that position better than Corey Graham. And it's important for us to to say that again, uh, the rookie fourth round nickel cornerback is better at safety than our safety three coming into the season. If only Mike, someone had said, maybe we should get some safety depth. If only. Or warned the gentle listeners about Corey Graham and the sum of his game. Okay. For the Cowboys. We definitely haven't done that here for the Cowboys did not participate. Tavon Austin dealing with groin still, probably not playing. David Irving with an ankle. Sean Lee with a hamstring, probably not playing for this game. I know he was hopeful earlier in the week, but it looks like he's not going to be able to make it, uh, even if he, he does or doesn't. I mean, Leighton Vanderesh, if LVE loses snaps to Sean Lee with a bad hamstring, I think that Lee has seen a drop-off in his play even before that, and that would be a plus for the Eagles. So hopefully oh, he does yes. return. So the opposite is, well, from from history is true in this situation. So tight end Jeff Swain also dealing with a knee, limited participation. Tyron Smith with a neck. He's been banged up for the last few seasons. Uh, Offensive guard Xavier Suafilo with an ankle and thumb. And then you get to full participation. So Jadobia Wuzie is dealing with an illness. Cole Beasley with his foot. Looks like Cole Beasley is going to be playing after missing some time. I already knew that. Did you see Beasley and Howard Eskin on Twitter? No. Are they back at it again? Yeah. uh, Howard Eskin posted this thing that was like, yo, like, looks like uh, Cole Beasley will actually be good to play. Like, it's good. You know, like... Excited to see him, like, you know, make all these, just, like, smack talking. And then it was a photoshopped picture of Eskin, like, of, like, a father, like, holding a hand with his, like, very young little son, like, walking away from a football field. And Eskin had his face over the dad and Cole Beasley's face over the son. And Beasley just responds with, this is my dad, LOL. Posts, like, a picture of, like, him and his dad, like, when he was playing high school football. Their their smack talk is so painfully bad it's hysterical for a guy who wants to be known as cole beasley does and we've noted on this show wants to be known as a rapper first and a football player second his trash talk game is abysmal dude i don't like like, again this is a fantastic situation where they have tried to make cole beasley like a thing like jack's kind of like oh like my like outlet receiver like super reliable cole beasley and they're trying to like hit him into that mold of player so often 
for the past like two years now, and just isn't happening because Cole Beasley is not that guy. Probably in part because it's not like Dak can hit him consistently anyway. Remember when Dak said that he was like their deep threat? Like you have to respect right. The, the there speed it is. Of yeah, Cole yeah. Beasley. <laughs> and everybody was like, "Dearest, do you do you know who Cole Beasley is? Are you sure you're thinking about the right receiver, my guy?" So also full participation defensive tackle Malik Collins dealing with a knee, offensive guard Zach Martin with a knee. Both of them should be good to go. So. As we dig into this preview for the Dallas Cowboys offense and the Eagles defense, this is the point of the season where I start to look at what a team has been recently as opposed to who they've been for the entire season because teams can undergo changes and simply be playing at different levels than they may have been for, say, the first four or even eight weeks in some cases. I believe that's definitely the case with the Cowboys. Coaches adapt to their weaknesses and strengths. Players get traded. Players get injured. They're replaced. Yeah, they they traded for Cooper. They've changed offensive line coaches. You know what I mean? Like, There's been significant movement there as far as like what what you've been getting from them absolutely and mark colombo is doing an excellent job with that offensive line compared to what was there before in my opinion uh, the players seem to be responding to it so and look while the last three weeks may prove to be a smaller sample size and probably less sustainable it does give us a valuable snapshot into what that team and how they've been playing recently i mean that's why when we study film I think our main focus is and should be like their last three or four recent games. At least that's how I do it. I think that's how you do it as well. So Mm -hmm. you look at Dallas and you say, well, they're 24th in scoring offense for the season, 17th in third down conversions for the season, 26th in red zone scoring. Well, in the last three weeks, they're 16th in points per game. So you see an improvement there. They're fourth. In third down conversions, they're converting 48% in the last three weeks. Both of those are significant improvements for them. But where we see the problem with them is that this Dallas Cowboys offense ranks 30th in red zone performance over the last few weeks. And we saw those struggles on a national stage against the Saints where they couldn't close the game out, especially at the end. And me and Mark talked about the the sack fumble that Dak had in that Saints Oy. game that nearly let the Saints back into it. So we detailed that on the QB Sco show. Go back and listen to that one. But conversely, with the Eagles, for the last three weeks, the Eagles are 24th in points allowed, uh, largely due to the Saints game, of course. They're tipping towards the bottom half in third down conversions. And they're about average in red zone defense, despite ranking fourth for the season. So you can see how their seasons are trending in opposite directions. And hopefully none of that matters and they can reverse those trends come Sunday, Ben. Yeah, so let's talk about some recent stats, because like you said, this is something that, that, that we always try to look at in this way. Two majorly stuck out to me. As far as how this Dallas Cowboys offense has changed a little bit from what we saw, I did it pre-buy to post-buy, right? Like uh, their buy was week eight. It's obviously right around when they acquired Cooper. So that's kind of when I I frame it. There are two things. The first came actually, Evan Silva put this out on Twitter, since week eight, since the buy, the usage of Ezekiel Elliott in the passing game has massively increased for Dallas, which like, oh, well, like he's their best offensive weapon. Like, let's get him the ball. You know, this is why we made fun of Dallas previously. But yeah, to give credit where credit's due, they're doing what they should have been doing for a long time. They figured it out and it's helping their offense. What Zeke has the second most amount of targets next to next to Cooper since the bye. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, on the team, fourth fourth in number of routes run from the running back position in the league, Mike. Yeah. And it's important to know, it's not like Elliott was not a good receiver at like Ohio State. And then like they've been teaching this. He was a good receiver coming out of Ohio State. Just the Cowboys never used him like this because the Cowboys are dumb. And now the Cowboys are getting smart. And this is why I'm saying the offensive improvements are the things that actually interest me. So 6.4 targets per game. That's 
far, far, far up from a, I think it was like a 3.4 targets per game number in 2017. He's been targeted 32 times over the, since week eight, and he's caught 28 of those passes. So he's a, he's a huge uh, outlet for Dak Prescott, and that ties in with the other thing that's really interested me. Mike, over the past five weeks, Dak Prescott's been bumping up his, uh, excuse me, he's been pulling down his depth of target depth of target average, right, in terms yeah. of where he uh, where he's usually throwing the football. So intended air yards is the next gen stat that I love to use for this. Uh, and and, yes. and Prescott's average over the season is now seven point five. Well, he's been at or below seven point five over every single game since the bye. Week eight, it was se- or excuse me, week nine, it was seven point five. I'm gonna skip week ten for now because that was a Philadelphia game. Week eleven was six point one. Week twelve was six point two. Those were bottom five numbers in the league, Mike. And then yeah. thir- uh, week thirteen was seven on the dot. And I said I'd skip week ten, the Eagles game, Mike. Week ten against the Eagles, Dak Prescott's intended air yards were five point three. It's his lowest mark of the season. Okay, yeah. He is receiving such a bigger percentage of one quick throws at the snaps that he is not responsible for doing full field processes, which is fantastic. And number two. He's given one read quick throws at the snap because I think the Cowboys are starting to acknowledge the fact that Dak's accuracy to the intermediate deep levels of the field is not good. It isn't, right? And when he was at his most successful in 2016, he was throwing well to the intermediates. I will give him that. He he was throwing better there than you thought he would. And then it's kind of come back down to where you saw it at Mississippi State in the past couple years. But when he was at his most successful in 2016, it was a very heavy short area offense so i mean just like a ton of like jason witten like you know little like stick route you know like terrence williams slant just like easy stuff this decrease in intended air yards so how many air yards he throws on passes completed or or incomplete and then the increased use of ezekiel elliott as a pass catching option it speaks to how dallas is now moving to an offense that will nickel and dime you up the field in the passing game and then it illustrates that big 5.3 number again like his average was near eight before the buy, and now 5.3, it's almost three yards on every throw, right? That, against the Eagles, just speaks to the fact that what is Dallas going to do? Dallas is going to load up the box against Philadelphia. You saw this all game. They're going to load up the box against Philadelphia, force you into cover three. We talked about how the Eagles can go with a loaded box, condense splits to force Dallas into cover three. Dallas can do the same thing to Philadelphia. Bring in two tight ends, bring in a tight wide receiver, put him in uh, cover three. And then they're going to throw to the flats. They're going to throw to the flats and say, Cindy Jones, come up and tackle. Rasul Douglas, come up and tackle. Because Jones and Douglas, they know when they get the Eagles in cover three, we'll have eight-yard cushions off the ball. They always do. So you'd love to see Philadelphia be more willing to bring their corners up a little bit into the line. You'd love to see them be uh, challenge those flat areas where so many of Dak Prescott's throws are going on these rollout ideas, on these quick play-action ideas, just little tight end leak routes. They love these. You'd love to see the corners come up and challenge those. You'd love to see a safety come up and cut underneath one of those. I just don't see that happening because we haven't seen that happen all year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what you're seeing from Dak's stats after getting Cooper is a little bit of fool's gold because of the point that you make. And you see him go up, what, 12% in completion percentage since the trade. You see him go up a full yard per attempt. He's up to 8.0 in those weeks, 10 through 13, four touchdowns, no interceptions. And his quarterback rating is up by 20 points. This isn't all on Dak. This is a lot of what you're talking about, Ben, because then you go to next-gen stats and you look up. They have this stat called uh, Yak and Expected Yak. So what they're deeming that a player is going to get on a specific play when he gets more, then they're in the plus. Can I guess what this is going to be? Yes, go ahead. Because I haven't looked at this. I'm curious. My guess off the film would be that Cooper's 
actual yak over his expected yak is like through the roof. Like he's generating way more yards after catch than you would expect. He is sixth in the league in expected yak difference at plus two point three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so listen, the dude is housing that. everything. The dude is housing everything. It's crazy. <laughs> and then, uh, like, also along with that too. Ezekiel Elliott is not getting downfield targets. So you're seeing a big increase from him as a receiver. He's not getting downfield mm-hmm. targets. All of that is yak. That's all, you know, Eli Manning, the Saquon Barkley behind the line, and then he's picking up eight yards or whatever the case may be. Right. Now, like this, you said perfectly, uh, is Elliott's not getting these downfield targets. One of the things that Dak Prescott is the worst at, that he's always been very bad at, is diagnosing, in my opinion, where the blitz is coming from. Right. And what to do about it. Yes. And they're making life very, very easy on him because they run scat protection literally all of the time. And when we talk mm-hmm. about scat protection, what specifically is is the character of scat protection? Scat means that a running back is going to be responsible for a particular gap in the coverage, going to be responsible for a particular area. And if that area is not occupied by a rusher, if he has nobody immediately to block in his gap, he's just going to leak out to the side as a check down option, right? So he is, it's like, um, you ever play Madden and that little blue route, instead of like the route being yellow, the route's blue, right? Yeah. I, last time I played Madden was like 06, so I might be totally <laughs> off base, but the route was blue and that route indicated it was like a delayed release that was like their uh facsimile it was their their way of creating scat protection that makes life so much easier on Dak because either the blitz gets picked up or if the blitz is not being picked up he's almost positive Ezekiel Elliott is about to flash off to his right hand side and like 0.2 0.2 seconds so he just dumps the ball out there right the dallas cowboys right now are one of the teams that are getting blitzed the most in the league i believe it's up in the top five according to espn nfl matchup it yeah. makes sense because it really flusters dak but you have to get home especially if they're running they're 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 running empty they've got four routes out in the field and they're leaving elliot in because elliot's about to leak out and they're about to get the ball to their best playmaker in space with nobody within six yards of him that's a problem. Exactly. And like Elliot, even on the ground game is top five for most rushing yards after contact. He's doing it as a receiver as well. So they're using using him in that manner. And as you look at the other matchups in this game from the other targets, so you're going to get Amari Cooper probably on Sidney Jones a lot. And that's a big test for Sydney. And we can talk about how we can help Sydney in a second here. But you're also looking at Cole Beasley against Craven LeBlanc. And then you're looking at Michael Gallup against Rasul Douglas, which is actually kind of an interesting matchup to me. But with Amari Cooper, Ben, would you expect something similar to what the Eagles did against the New Orleans Saints, against the New York Giants, where they cone bracket, they double team, and they do they do these different things to just take away that target? If, if you cone bracket Amari Cooper, you can let Sidney Jones get up in his kitchen, as we like to say on this show, and take away that immediate first read and make Dak process things would you expect more of that because i think that's the way that you can get to dak dak likes to hold on to the ball the cowboys have forced him through their scheme to make him get rid of the ball if you let dak hold on to the ball he will take sacks he took seven sacks against the he's Saints. still he's still significantly leading pff's uh yeah. grading where they determine who's at fault for the sack Right. When 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 there is pressure, like we we we've talked a bit about how we want Carson Wentz to have a little bit more escapability. You watch Dak, and you're like, listen, Carson Wentz is freaking Houdini. All right, this yeah. is the best. Like Dak just has no idea what to happen when there's pressure. No idea what to do. He doesn't move in the pocket. He jumps in the pocket. It's frantic. It's wild. And his sack rates compared to his under pressure rates, like against the Saints, it was like fifty percent. So if you get a pressure on 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 Dak, half the time you're sacking him. 
also has some ball security issues as well. And what you saw from the Eagles from a, a rush plan standpoint was running some stunts, showing him space, and then playing contain and letting him come to you because he's very manipulable in that area. So the Eagles kind of know how to attack them as far as the pass rush plan. They just have to be able to get there. But going back to, to the Cooper plan, what would be your deployment, your coverage deployment of choice the majority of the time? They're not going to run it every play, but the majority of the time against this Cooper-led uh, Cooper wide receiver core. No, I'm very glad you asked it and you asked it in the phraseology of what they did against the Saints because yes you absolutely should cone Cooper I'm going to tell you why you should cone Cooper because Rasul Douglas has the ability to cover Amari Cooper well if you let him play into the line with physicality and when you do that your worry is he's going to get beat deep right your worry is he's going to get toasted off the line there's going to be a little you know a little wiggle there's going to be a little Nice release move. Cooper's obviously been very detailed at the line of scrimmage, very detailed in his routes uh, since came out of Alabama. And so you, you're worried about that boomer bust style play. Well, if you just cone him, if you just go one low, one high, which yes, Jim, I understand. I'm asking you to play too deep. I'm asking you to play with two safeties back. And it's crazy. I know. I didn't even know you could do this. I'm asking you to play with two safeties back. I'm asking, and in doing so, I'm asking you to play with one less player in the box, which means you're going to ask potentially a Timmy Jernigan-less, Jordan Hicks-less defensive front six yeah. to stop the run. But honestly, I think they have a better shot at that than Russell Douglas staying with Amari Cooper down the field. Now, at the same time, what they did against the Giants, they did the cone, but then they also didn't always have that second deep safety. So that is something that you can do. And, you know, you had a little more off coverage on the other side because of that. But you can significantly shade a safety to that one side. The risk is getting beat deep on the other side because you're not going to have any safety help and you're going to have to play a little bit softer. So it's a little bit a little bit of give and take there, basically. My, right. When, so when I bring up the split safety because I'm giving a cone look, typically when you're giving that cone perspective, you want to have it as a two safety look at the snap right. and then you can rotate to it, which means yeah. you still get your deep safety, right? You just need to have that guy on top. And then with the other thing you can do is obviously we talk about man coverage when we talk about these matchups, but something that Philadelphia did and did well, especially against the Giants when they had Odell in the first matchup, is they ran cover three cloud to Odell's side. And it essentially operates as a quasi cone style of a bracket because you're getting a low high coverage on a guy in his vertical third. And Cooper will run, of course, cross routes, but then he's running into the teeth of the zone. And so you're kind of in a good spot. And again, when we talk about cover three cloud, instead of you know, the left corner taking the left deep third, the deep middle safety taking the deep middle third, and the right safety taking the right deep third. When we talk about cover three cloud, instead one corner, let's say the left corner, Rasul Douglas over and Marty Cooper, stays low in the flat, and then a deep safety crosses over into the deep left third. Another deep safety then takes the deep middle third, and then your opposite corner, your right corner, takes the deep right third. And so you have two safeties, like I said, back at the snap, and then they shift over to the side, they shift over with the coverage, and it allows you to keep Rasul Douglas low, and then he's immediately in the flat, he can challenge all slants, he can challenge all quick curls, he'll be sitting underneath them, which limits Dak's ability to throw those short yardage passes to Cooper's side. And then yes, like you said, you're now asking Cindy Jones to do a lot. It's going to be a full deep third coverage with a linebacker having to come way over to come take his flat unless they're going like a three by one set with Cooper backside, in which case you're rotating the coverage away from the three by one, which is a little scary. But Cooper's good. So 
it, 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 it's tricky. I would love to see them bring back the cover three cloud that they're against the Giants, especially when they want to stay in their base three deep look, which they like so much. And then you can rotate Jenkins late if you want to into the flat out from the linebacker position. That's probably the best way to do it. Here's what I like about that, because in cover three cloud, that flat cornerback, in this case, you're using Rasul Douglas, Amari Cooper might switch, it might be Sidney Jones, one, one or the other, reroute and disrupt the release of Amari Cooper and delay it and move it as much as you can. Do not give Cooper free releases against off coverage. He will eat you alive. He's probably going to beat you in a, in a couple of different ways at the line as well. Reroute. Get your hands on him and delay that and give an extra half second for this freaking pass rush to get here. That's one of my main problems with this defense all year. Nobody reroutes anybody. Nobody's getting hands on anybody, even when they're playing tight. It's a, it's, I don't know if it's a technique thing or what, but they need to disrupt the releases of Amari Cooper and make that plan, that first progression for Dak, make him go somewhere else with it, and then watch his brain just scramble on national television. Uh, ben, looking at the offensive line against defensive line, as we do for every week, we look at the pro football focus blocking advantage. What you're seeing is a slight disadvantage for the Dallas offensive line and a slight advantage for them in run blocking. So when you look at what the Eagles have with their front four and you look at maybe a, a beat-up Tyron Smith, and you look across that offensive line, I think Joe Looney's playing a little bit better than than he was earlier in the season. Maybe credit goes to Mark Colombo for that. We talked a lot about the assistance on the coaching staff for the Cowboys stepping up their game this season, even though Jason Garrett's still a toddler. But when you look at this offensive line versus defensive line, who would you give the advantage to in what areas? Or maybe is there a specific thing that you're looking for that you think could be like a breakout performance for one of these guys? Right, absolutely. The number one thing I'm looking for is... For Timmy Jernigan to be healthy, which doesn't <laughs> sound like it's going to happen, uh, which is the worst. Uh, Haloti Nada made his first impact play of the entire season last season by very luckily knocking the ball out of Chris Thompson's hands, and Chris Thompson fell right back on it. And that's really the most that Nada's ever done for this defense. So yeah, you're at a point where you're likely dealing with Fletcher Cox and then a rotation of Nada, Hester, and McGill. Uh, and so then you're looking to see if Michael Ben is going to get more interior snaps, but he's been so successful on the outside, so that's tricky. But if you are to move him down more into the inside area, Michael Bennett, then you're going to open up more outside snaps for Josh Sweat. And I really think that if Philadelphia is going to be able to get some more teeth into this defense, they need to be able to rely more on their backup rushers. And McGill and Hester, obviously more traditional defensive tackles, I get that out snapping a guy like Josh Sweat, who offers much better pass rush ability even as a fourth round rookie, a guy who even has taken interior reps for Philadelphia in like the preseason and in limited time. I just think to me like my efforts would be to get Michael Bennett on the inside and, and then rotate long Brandon Graham and Josh Sweat on the outside before I start getting Haloti Nada, T.Y. McGill and Trayvon Hester involved in third downs, which is what's currently being done. Again, right. this is a situation where I don't anticipate this change being made too much. What I more so anticipate and, and envision seeing happen is you're going to get a lot of two-man games again with Michael Bennett and Brandon Graham, something that they did with a ton of success, Michael Bennett and Chris Long as well, uh, in the past couple of weeks, where on a clear rushdown, you get Bennett as a as a five technique or as a four-eye technique, and then you get Long or Brandon Graham as a seven technique or wider, uh, and yeah. then you let them spin, you let them stunt, you let them twist, you let them fake stunts, uh, and, and then they just go to town because those guys are very quick 
and then very powerful when they arrive with velocity. And so it causes a lot of problem. And yeah, when I look at this offensive line by its sides, like you're saying, Joe Looney, I think has been playing better. That being said, I think Fletcher Cox is better than everybody, especially Joe Looney. Um, So there's an advantage there. But when you're looking at um, this left side of the line, Xavier Suofilo, like you said, guy who stepped in, who's not been terrible. The first play of the Cowboys game last uh, against the Eagles last time, Fletcher Cox put him on his butt. And then Suofilo kind of held his own. The thing about Suofilo is that he's not a great mover. He's quite powerful. He's got good hands. And so he's a ticking time bomb in terms of pass protection in the sense that He'll stay in your way for a fair bit of time, but he's ne- he's very rarely, if ever, stonewalling you. I'm talking about Fletcher Cox specifically. He's very rarely stopping Fletcher Cox. There are some right. offensive linemen who can like get Cox to a stalemate. Suofilo is just like, how long can you stay in the way? Uh, which he's but strong, also so too, you know, Fletcher Cox is getting uh, significant contact or a double team on over seventy percent of his snaps this year as well. So Suofilo yeah. is going to get some help in that regard, and that's what helped him in the first matchup too. Which is why you need to have. A Bennett on the inside. Yeah. Right? Because if you're putting if you're putting Fletcher Cox over either Zach Martin or Xavier Sufilo, and then the other side is Trayvon Hester, Haloni Nada, right? Like there's no, there's no secret where that protection's gonna slide, which I right. mean, okay. You know, so maybe you put Cox at the three tech and then you put Nada and Hester at the one tech and just say, listen, your job is to keep the center here. Yep. All right. But you could be presenting a much more dangerous Yes. interior rush option if you're moving Bennett to the inside which is why like it'll be very interesting to see is this a game where Philadelphia kind of comes out and does what they what they did previously against the Cowboys and they do what they've done previously for this season or is this a game where they come out and they kind of really go all right we got to unplug some stops if you remember Mike the Eagles Cowboys game of the first year or the the first game this year was very much so a game where the Cowboys were like all right we need to win this to stay alive Right, like it's 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 hard to yep. forget. It's hard to remember because the Cowboys are now in such a good spot. But literally four weeks ago, it was like, listen, Jason Garrett might get fired if they lose this game. You know, so let let's you know everybody's really excited to crown the Cowboys as like a team that matters. Matt, like a month ago, they were gonna fire their head coach. Let's chill. Um, <laughs> and as a result, they came out and they pulled out all the stops. Right, we had yeah. speed option. We had freaking like reverse jet motion nonsense, right? They, 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 every trick in the playbook to stay alive. Philadelphia should now find themselves in similar shoes and should move accordingly. Let's get Cox, Michael Bennett, Brandon Graham, Chris Long all in the field at the same freaking time for as many snaps as possible. Let's, let's return to that. We get pressure with four no matter what. You know what I mean? Like that's uh, like, again, if, if they surrender some plays in the running game, okay. Like I really think that you have to be all right with that. I, this this run there's a lot of pride in this run defense. It's good run defense. I get that, but at the cost of leaving Rasul Douglas and Sidney Jones on islands, it just doesn't make sense to me. It never has for the entire season. So you'd like to see them get a little bit more creative and uh, accordingly desperate on the uh, on the back end for the defense. We'll see what happens. Accordingly desperate is a good term for that because they need right. to come and, out and, like they have like exactly. it's the you know last day on earth. Right, and, and if you. <laughs> And if you start losing to the running game and Dallas are running six-minute drives, seven-minute drives, and the offense isn't necessarily going so hot, and you need to start generating some turnovers, then sure, you switch things up. But I would much, much, much rather have to have them hit seven Ezekiel Elliott runs successfully to get down the field than one catch-and-go for Amari Cooper that picks up 60 yards. 100%. I'm 100% more comfortable with that, for sure. 
So as we move on to the predictions for this show, Ben, I'll give you a second to pull up the line here. I want to make a note real quick from our friend Warren Sharp. Uh, Just the third time in the last 30 years, a team predicted by Vegas to score over 30 points was held under 10 points or fewer. The Cowboys did it against the Saints. The Rams back in 2000 did it against the Panthers. And the Bills lost to the Dolphins back in 1992. Three times that has happened. That's what we talk about when this this Saints-Cowboys game is a island game or an outlier it truly is like that is extremely rare so hopefully we don't get that same cowboys team this sunday but i mean if we do then we've been getting the best punch from the opposing team every single week now we got to get to a point we can counter punch against a team that's playing well against us it hasn't happened yet this season in my opinion not for 60 minutes that's for doggone sure uh ben what do we have for the line on this game so we can make our predictions yeah, most spots are going to have it as a 44 over under. That's the point total. And then the spread is anywhere from three to three and a half favoring Dallas, which uh, if you remember, I predicted a the line would open at 5.5. It opened at four and has moved down to three. Uh, I would have expected a bit of a move down to around four. But uh, the Eagles are getting a, a, a bit more favor than I thought they would, to be honest. Maybe Warren Sharp has something to do with that. I have to see what his plays are this week. But I am going to go with, I mean... I can't pick against the Eagles in this situation. You can't. I can. This isn't a Michael Irvin situation where he's going to pick against them and then yell like a lunatic for an hour after the game talking about how the Cowboys are back and all that nonsense. So, look, I'm going to go with the Eagles in a must-win game. Uh, They play better in Dallas. They're a better team, better head coach, better quarterback by far. Oh, man, you got me with the better head coach, better quarterback thing, because that's usually how I justify my picks. Shoot. Exactly. We talked about it on the previous show, too. I mean, it's just a fact. that, And we talked about the assistance for the Cowboys doing a bang-up job outside of uh, even Linehan hasn't been terrible lately, mm-hmm. as we've talked about, and has worked towards the strengths and weaknesses of their quote-unquote franchise quarterback, uh, who was talking a lot of smack at Camille Grugier-Hill, so we'll see how that works out for him. Let's go 27-21 Eagles. Let's go. You're going over as well. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'll go. I'm, I'm over as well. This is a game where you expect there to be points because both teams are going to be playing hard, playing significantly, and those games typically come out with points just in the general NFL. I'm going to tell you why I'm going to pick Dallas, because I think Dallas is going to win the football game. I'm going to tell you why I think Dallas is going to win the football game. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, no, it, 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 it's, it's tricky. It simply comes down to this. Traitor. I think if the Cowboys get down... They will have the chutzpah, the the gumption, to be able to get back up and fight in this game. Mm. I think if the Eagles get down with the way their season has gone uh, mm. and with all the difficulties they've gone through, I worry about their ability to fight back into the game over four quarters. That's yeah. that's where I am. And I'd love to be proven wrong on that, and I don't want that to be like a reflection of like the locker room or Doug Peterson or the leadership or whatever. It's just simply the fact that like this team has had so many disappointing losses in moments where they should have won. That if they come into like a big game and they like get down, you know, like 14-3 by the beginning of the second, you just wonder how much fight they're going to have. And then you have to worry about, and then you have to be able to stop Zeke, which they weren't able to do last time. They got they got yeah. ran over. So yeah, I, I could see that scenario. So yeah, if the Cowboys come out with an early lead, that's that's tough. Yeah, that's my big concern in that regard. And 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 I think there will be spunk. You know, like Carson is obviously a guy who always is like a four quarter fighter, and I think they will be able to put some points back up on the board. I just worry about their ability to close a gap. Right, if if they if they get to that point, you know, get a stop, get an impact play on defense to get some momentum. Like it's just not what this team has done. Um, that being said, man, I would love for this to be a statement win for Carson. Wouldn't that be great? It wouldn't would that be. like like because like well, a statement win for Carson? 
I think oh, be, yeah. I, 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 said oh, I thought you said like oh I thought you said like would it be like with with surprise and I was like Mike do you hate Carson breaking Roto World Kiss hates Carson um, <laughs> Ben's face got no real, like, like it's, lit it's up, you like, know like, we've talked about Carson pushing and we've talked about how uh, Carson has talked about how it kind of sucks to have see your team win the Super Bowl without you starting Carson could use a statement win where he yeah. comes out he plays out of his mind. And the Eagles win that game. It was almost the Rams game last year. You know what I mean? Like that—that yeah. that could have been like a statement game for Carson. Obviously, like takes the lead with that, uh, with that little touchdown run there that obviously ended his season. Like you know, oh man, like it just uh, with with the game-winning comeback conversations that we've had, the fourth quarter drive conversation is Carson clutch. Man, how awesome would it be to have the Eagles? You know, twenty-four, twenty-seven, and then Carson walks him down the field and scores. Right. You know, like oh, it just it would be. It's like a three touchdown, zero interception game where he just like dominates. Like, oh, just like I feel like we're waiting for it. I feel like we've been thirsting for it. There's been so many games where there's enough data to say that, oh, but Carson could have done this and the other thing and it could have made the game better where you're just like kind of waiting on that game where just for four quarters he kills it. Uh, So I'd love to see that, but I'm going to pick Dallas. Uh, I think Dallas is going to win this thing about 30 to 24. Well, there you have it. I can't wait. I man, now I really it's want. It's the first the time to win. we've disagreed in like over a calendar year in terms yeah. of the, the, who's going to win the game. Yeah, it's hard picking the Eagles to put up twenty-seven points when the Dallas Cowboys defense is playing like they are, and I have zero reason to be faithful in this team right now when they've just mm-hmm. now put together their second consecutive win, and they have yet, and we talk about this a lot, they have yet since the Giants game, since the first Giants game, to play 60 minutes of good football. (laughs) It absolutely, absolutely, absolutely has to happen right now. If it doesn't happen right now, again, none of it even matters. The whole season has been a complete waste. The the playoff implications are huge, and I'll be extremely disappointed in the fight that this team would lack if they cannot fight in this game. Speaking of playoff implications, omissions and corrections from last episode, I said that the Eagles had the second highest playoff odds and the Cowboys had the first highest playoff odds. That is incorrect. Eagles have the first highest playoff odds at 47. Cowboys have the second highest playoff odds at leverage, like the the, the right. playoff uh, odds at stake from winning or losing this game. Cowboys are the second highest. Eagles are the first highest. Yeah, I think now this is my final prediction for the game. We'll be able to figure out who wins the game in the first quarter. Like, I think whoever comes out hot wins it yeah. just flat out. I think if the Cowboys come out hot and they have the ability to ride the running offense and they're at home, they're going to win it. If the Eagles come out hot and they feel the momentum of the past few weeks and they feel the chance to get in front of the division, they won't give it up. I feel like whoever wins the first quarter wins the game. Ben, that's going to do it for this week. Our preview shows of the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles gigantic matchup coming up. As I said before, we have previously done the opposite sides where we did the Eagles offense against the Cowboys defense. BGN Radio is out with Brandon Lee Gowton. May May he he reign forever. And John Stolness. Also, this show, of course, that you're listening to, download it again on a different device or from a different feed. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Two thirds my wrap up. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Soul Less to listen to, less to pay attention to if I do it for you. (laughs) We do appreciate you swinging by. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K's, and Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL, that's K-I-S-T. What I will say for the wrap-up is simply, regardless of the results of the Cowboys-Eagles game, we do hope you join us for the post-game show, which we will be dropping, I'm assuming, Sunday night, uh, as soon as possible after the game, and then, you know, uh, Monday morning, it'll be there for you for your car ride, win or lose. Uh, we're going to break this thing down like we always do, so I hope that you listen to that. And then also, win or lose, uh, as, as a lot of you listeners know, uh, Mike and I 
have some good draft bra- uh, draft yeah. backgrounds. It's a lot of the work that I do year round, and Mike does a lot of it seasonally as well. So if we get to the point where that's going to be the major content for the Eagles moving forward, <laughs> God forbid, don't stop listening to BGN Radio. Don't unsubscribe. Don't move on to your basketball podcasts and on to your hockey podcasts. Uh, we will be here for you to talk a lot of NFL draft stuff and about what the Eagles could do in the offseason to get back uh, to their previous dominance. So just stick with us. We'll always have stuff for you. Regardless of the season in the NFL, me and Ben are literally all you got. Ha! We all you need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot, because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.